everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I'm grateful for you listening to the 68th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. We're going to be worth your time again this week, and we're going to do it here at the top with some ways the Chiefs can be beaten, questions about the game plan against the Browns, Tony Gonzalez's place in Chiefs history, and whether John Dorsey will be in the ring of honor someday. The bonus section is built around some subtle sound I heard this week that I think paints a really big and interesting and important picture about why the Chiefs are in this sort of, you know, golden age here of success. Uh, We're taking care of you. Okay, so I think most of the people listening here would say the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL, right? Like, I think that's safe, even if there's a little bit of bias here. Uh, It's a Kansas City show, and if there's one thing Kansas City loves... It's Kansas City, right? But anyway, besides that, the Chiefs are the consensus favorite to win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, even I think there's a strong case to be made for the Bucks, the Packers, and some others. But, you know, I like to think of this show and the minutes and the columns, too, is just <laughs> my existence, professionally at least, is, is an attempt to help you understand or connect a little bit better with, with your favorite team. So I want to do a sort of thought experiment here, which is basically this. What is the best way to beat the Chiefs? And are there teams that are sort of equipped to do that more effectively than others? Um, You know, three years into this, uh, the Chiefs have lost 10 games with Mahomes as a starting quarterback, and uh, which is ridiculous. Three years, 10 games. Um, And those losses have come in in different ways. You know, last year, the Bucs just wrecked a basically a paperback offensive line at that point. Um, and then in the regular season, the Raiders exploited the secondary with speed and, and did a really good job of pressuring Mahomes. The losses in the previous seasons are sort of like potpourri, right? Like the Colts, they only scored 19, but they took advantage of some injuries and uneven performances by the Chiefs. And, you know, a lot of zone defense that, you know, that, that, that slowed them down, beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead in 2019. The Titans took advantage of a few mistakes and made all the plays late. The Texans and and guys like, holy crap! Does the NFL move fast, right? That just the season before last, the Texans beat the Chiefs, but the the Texans ran it for 192 yards against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Um, the year before that, Mahomes' first year as a starter, uh, the Patriots, Rams, and then the Patriots again in the playoffs won what I think we can fairly describe as just sort of like coin flip shootout games. Um, the Chargers made the big play at the end on a Thursday night at Arrowhead, and, and the Seahawks got two turnovers and took advantage of a soft defense uh, two nights before Christmas. So um, I don't know. Do do you see a sort of you know one blueprint there? Because I don't. <laughs> you know uh, what I see is like the NFL just kind of being bonkers. Um, you know, and and the Chiefs have this the a brilliant head coach and unicorn quarterback who have you know mostly broken that model of parity these last few years, but. You know, still, they've, they've lost one game, given up just 19 points, and they lost another one when they scored 51. And I, I think that football is too complicated and too sort of like matchup specific to say that there's one single way to beat a team as good as the Chiefs. But I do think that there are a few things the Chiefs are more, more vulnerable against than others. Um, so let's talk about those here. Uh, the most important, you have to pressure Mahomes. Like, I, I think that is non-negotiable, and it doesn't matter if you do it by blitzing, you know, because he's basically just as good against the blitz as he is when defenses don't blitz, which is wild, by the way. But you just you just have to pressure him. And again, non-negotiable. Um, if I'm going against the Chiefs, I think the best way to do it is like stunts and twists up front, uh, blitzes up the middle, you know, especially when Edwards Hilaire is in the backfield, you know, because I think that way you can test 
both the communication and feel of a new offensive line, and I think a relative weakness in Edwards Hilaire's pass protection. The offense needs to be on point. You know, I don't know that the smartest thing is to get into a shootout, but you know Mahomes is going to get his, right? Um, so you need to you need to be both efficient and explosive. Like, you know, Tyron Matthew can cover a thousand mistakes, uh, but the Chiefs can still be beaten deep, you know, when the quarterback is is kept clean. And I know that running the ball is outdated, but to me, like, until they prove otherwise, the Chiefs have a relative weakness against the run. So if you can move the ball that way, I think you're both exploiting something that Chiefs aren't awesome at, and you might also cut down on the number of times that you have to stop Mahomes, which is not a terrible thing, right? It obviously helps if you win on turnovers, but listen to this, guys. Like, I, I didn't realize this until until I was going through some stuff um, preparing for this, but out of those 10 losses with Mahomes, <laughs> uh, the Chiefs have been even on turnovers in three of those 10, and they've actually won on turnovers three other times. So the, the turnover thing just isn't as important as I think a lot of people are going to make it out to be. Remember a couple of years ago uh, when the Ravens went for all those fourth downs and, you know, John Harbaugh said, like, it's, it's uh, not a field position game when you play the Chiefs, but it's a possession game. I, I just thought that was so smart. And, and I've never forgot that. And I think it's, it's dead on and still true now because it just doesn't matter as much whether you give it to the Chiefs at their own 10 or at midfield. Because, you know, they can make that yardage disappear in a second. So you need to be aggressive and you need to make the most out of every time you have the ball. And more important than the turnovers then, I think, is like winning in the red zone. Because the Chiefs are going to move the ball. But if you can stall them out and give up field goals, not touchdowns, um, then I think on the other side, if you're making sure that you're getting seven when, when you get close, um, you know, I think that's another way to get it going. So <laughs> I get like this is all easier said than done, right? Like, you know, pressure the quarterback, make sure you score a bunch on offense, you know, hopefully win in turnovers, but definitely win in the red zone, do all of that. And congratulations, you might maybe could possibly have a chance. Look, we're looking around at teams, and I think there's a few that, that can match up pretty well. I don't think the Buffalo has the defense to do it. I really don't. I feel like the Ravens have, uh, you know, just a lot, too many problems against the Chiefs until I see otherwise. And I know I wrote a column about this last week, but I think the Browns, if, you, if, if we can keep it to the AFC, and at least what I see right now, uh, but I think the Browns have a lot of those elements that you need to beat the Chiefs. They're lo- they loaded up the defensive line to get at the quarterback. They've got depth in the secondary now that they added in the offseason to defend deep. They've got a really nice mix of playmakers, and they've got a great offensive line. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield is, is sort of the wild card. And, you know, look, I'm not here telling you he's the guy to get it done in the biggest moments, but he's really talented and he's really confident and, and the Browns have him set up for success. So, look, uh, I'm expecting the Chiefs to beat the Browns on Sunday. You know, if this season goes the way that I think it will, I'm probably going to expect them to win every single game they play. But I'm also expecting there to be a rematch of this Chiefs-Browns. I'm expecting a rematch in January. And uh, I'm going to be thinking about that rematch a lot during the game on Sunday. Um, You know, which, no matter what, uh, that game should be a hell of a good time, right? God, it's good to have football back, right? Okay, before we move on to the rest of the show, here is the spiel. Uh, Three asks, and you know that we're still cool if you only do one or two or even zero, but I got to ask. Uh, the first, please help, help support us by giving the Sports Pass a try. Dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Just reach out to me on Twitter, or Facebook, email, whatever, and, and I'll send you the link. 
Um, and, and thanks, by the way, to everybody. It's been a lot um, every week, it seems like. So I appreciate you guys for, for helping us out that way. The second, please rate and review the show. Uh, Savannah and I appreciate all the love you've given us already. We see you. We thank you. All those five-star ratings are awesome. But I'm just saying, if you haven't already done that, if you haven't already uh, rated, reviewed, please do it. And obviously subscribe too. I don't think I ever say that, um, but maybe that's the most basic thing. Just subscribe. Anyway, it really helps us get the word out. And the third thing, if you want to participate in next week's show, and I hope you do, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone, call anytime, 816-234-4365. One more time, uh, here's the number. Rewind it if you don't catch it clean, 816-234-4365. All right, guys, I appreciate you. Quick break, and then we are back with those questions. Hey, Sam, Tom from Lenexa. My question is regarding the Chiefs game this Sunday. Um, I'm wondering how you think the game plan will turn out for the offense. Uh, I know with Cleveland having uh, Garrett and Clowney, they have a nice defensive line, but the team seems to be built more for uh, more DBs to be playing nickel and dime a lot. I'm wondering if you think we'll be seeing uh, a bigger game from uh, CEH like we saw in the Buffalo game last year. Uh, one, to get the new offensive line uh, acclimated and uh, just to maybe throw them off guard and uh, give the, the Browns a different look. Uh, interested to hear what you say and enjoy your podcast. It's a great question, uh, Tom. And, and the truth is, like, these early season games are just so hard to predict. You know, like, the Chiefs obviously spent the offseason, like, overhauling the offensive line. And, and the Browns made a lot of changes on their defense, too, uh, both up front and in the back. And, and it's hard not to believe that those changes weren't made with the Chiefs in mind, honestly. But, uh, but you just don't know. Like, there's no – I think there's, what, five new starters on the Chiefs' offense and I think five or six on the, on the Browns' defense. It's just hard to know how this is going to go, you know, without any tape to go off of or anything like that. So, look, my expectation is that, especially early in the season, I think you're going to see opposing defenses try to stress the Chiefs' line, a lot of twists, stunts, unscouted blitzes, that kind of thing. And I think if you do that – and, and find a way to keep Hardman and Hill in front of you. Really test the Chiefs to see if they're patient and disciplined enough to stay short. You know, make them prove they can run the ball. I mean, there aren't a lot of great ways to beat this team, but that seems as good as any to me. Uh, but you're asking about the Chiefs offense. And look, I, I think they'd really like to establish a more consistent and efficient run game. I think they'll be deliberate and intentional about that. Um, I, I think they're really excited and at least cautiously optimistic about what they'll see with this new group, like in a real game, you know, and especially against a really good opponent right off the bat. So uh, I think they're going to run some stuff that puts a lot of trust in those five guys up front. And and that's not just in the run game, but I also think with screens and deeper dropbacks. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about this probably enough with the offensive line, but um, I, I'm really interested to see how those guys move in the screen game, especially like Trey Smith. That is a big dude. Um, and the Chiefs ask a lot, um, you know, of, of agility, athleticism. They ask a lot out of their offensive linemen. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. 
But look, more than anything else, I want to see what Andy's been you know, sort of cooking up in the lab this offseason because you know it's something, right? Like one year, you know, you've got running backs going on seam routes down the middle. Um, another, it's that sort of like mesh concept where, you know, receiver clears one side of the field and then takes it up uh, up the sideline. I mean, just like every season, Andy's got something that defenses just aren't ready for. And, and, and the offenses start trying to copy like immediately. And I don't know what that new thing will be this year, obviously. Um, but if I had to bet... I'm going to be looking at all four four tight ends being on the field. You know, the 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 jargon for that is 14 personnel. And the other day, Travis Kelsey told us uh, they called that that package T Rex, which I like. Um, and Andy showed that on a snap in the last preseason game, which I think Andy doesn't try to do too much like that. Like he tries to keep it real basic in the preseason. So I I think it's in it's worth noting. It's worth remembering that he showed that in in that last preseason game and went for a touchdown. And so I don't know, but with the athletes that have the, the, the Chiefs have at that position, um, they really could be onto something that would be super hard for defenses to adjust to. Um, so that that's what I'm most interested in in seeing how that goes. So, okay, speaking of tight ends, Gina's got a question here. <laughs> this is a good one. I love this one. Hey Sam, my name is Gina. I'm a Chiefs fan. I've been holding it down uh, in Arizona for 24 years. Um, this is a random question, but one I've always wanted answered kind of directly. So Tony Gonzalez was my guy. And after the comments he made and, you know, Falcons made his career, and that really makes me sick, my question is this. Does anyone remember when he left Kansas City to go to Atlanta, he had like a rally there in Missouri, and he said to the crowd, I'm going to retire a chief. Obviously, he didn't. and I just want to have your guys' perspective. I listened to you all, including the A-team, for many years. You guys are awesome, uh, and God bless Therese. Um, but I just wondered, he didn't retire. He seems disrespectful to Kansas City. What are your thoughts on that? Does anyone remember that or hold him accountable for that? Just wondering. Um, I listened to your podcast as well, hoping to hear maybe an answer to what you guys thought of that when he said he retired chief chief and he didn't do it in addition to saying what he said about the Falcons making his career so he's kind of dead to me but I would like your perspective thank you I love this question um I mean Gina Gina like just tell us how you really feel right um so full disclosure here I didn't remember that about Gonzalez saying he'd retire as a chief but um, I looked it up, and Gina knows her stuff. Um, she, she's dead right. Uh, I do have a bit of a different look at this. Like, for me, I mean, first, like, let's just agree that Gonzalez was both within his rights and I think absolutely correct to one out of Kansas City when he did. Um, he'd been the best at his position. That's how it seemed to me when he was in Kansas City, and I think that's been reinforced after he's left. And so when he said that about the Falcons making his career or whatever it was, like he was in Atlanta when he said that, and he was speaking to reporters from Atlanta. And I think it's really that simple. Like he was saying what he thought those reporters wanted to hear. And I think he's a kind of a people pleaser in that way. And it didn't go through his head, you know, like how that would land in Kansas City. You know, where we have this inferiority complex, um, you know, that comes out every once in a while. And, 
you know, and then you go back to him dunking on the goalpost at Arrowhead after a touchdown that he scored with the Falcons. And I, I just, I, I do think it's remembering though that basically as soon as that backlash came, he walked it back immediately. And he talked about becoming a man in Kansas City and, and what the fans and city here mean to him and all that. And look, like this is neither here nor there, but I talked to Tony for a column recently and, and I think this is worth noting. Like, the two of us have never met, right? Like we, we have no relationship. He, he was gone a few years before I started covering the Chiefs um, as a columnist. So we had no reason to have a relationship, okay? And so I texted him completely out of blue and just told him who I was and where I was from. And he replied within seconds to call anytime. And look, I, I just, I don't think he would have done that if he didn't care about Kansas City, you know? Um, and, and if he didn't care about what people here think of him. And I always think that, Athletes deserve the bulk of the credit for their success or failure, right? Um, and I think it's clear that Gonzalez would have been great anywhere. Um, but this is the place where he became, you know, rich and famous and a Hall of Famer. And there's just no way that that's not important to him. Now, <laughs> this is where it gets kind of complicated, right? Is he a Midwest guy at heart? Of course not. <laughs> and, and I think that even when he was here and, and a star, there was the sense that, you know, that's the California guy doing it in, in, in a place he didn't choose. And like, I, I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but George Brett was a California guy who played here and by now is all Kansas City. You know what I mean? He lives here. His kids went to public schools here. Um, you know, fr his friends are here, like all that stuff. This is home for him and, and has been for decades. I think we all knew that wasn't going to be Tony Gonzalez's plan or his path, right? Um, there was probably never a way for that to end like really super smooth. So look, like I, I think what we have is a guy who will never say a bad word about Kansas City. Um, and and then Kansas City and the fan base here, like just never, was never going to embrace him or, or wrap arms around him as like one of us, you know, the way that Kansas City does with, with George Brett or Salvi Perez, Mahomes, Kelsey, guys like that. So look, to me, like as like a columnist and storyteller and all that, it is a really, really fascinating dynamic. Um, so, all right, let, let's do one more, uh, sort of chief's history thing here. Um, here's Chris. Hey, Sam, this is Chris and Lenexa. I hope you have a good weekend ahead here. Um, uh, I'm going to do a little chief's, chief's Royals comparison on something here. I can make the case. John Dorsey has drafted the three greatest players in chief's history and Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill. And, and your buddy uh, Vahe has written about uh, um, Cedric Tallis, the Royals' first general manager, and how, how much talent he drafted. And I can make the case that he's drafted the three most talented players in Royals history to this day. And, I, and he's got a bunch of Royals Hall of Famers. And he's got, if you really did the top ten players in Royals history, heck, he might have he drafted or acquired seven of them. He's not in the Royals Hall of Fame. What's going to be the history of John Dorsey with this Chiefs team? Can, can he be in the Ring of Honor? Is he just forgotten? And if you had some Cedric Tallis thoughts, you're welcome to do that too. Sam, enjoy the holidays. Take care. Yeah, Chris. Um, look, Cedric Tallis, 100%, no doubt about it, should be in the Royals Hall of Fame. Um, to the point that it's just, it's silly that he hasn't, that he's not in there. And it's been silly for decades. Um, I've written and said that before. 
Um, Vahe's written about it more than I have and, and probably better too. It's just, it, it's nuts. Um, so we agree on that. Dorsey's place in, in Kansas City, I think is really interesting. Like Andy Reid will always, and, and I would say deservedly, get the bulk of the credit for building this thing up from the ashes. You know, and, and then Patrick Mahomes, I think will always, and I would say deservedly, get the bulk of the credit for pushing the thing, you know, across the finish line and, and turning a consistent winner into a consistent Super Bowl contender. Um, and then after that, there's this sort of like second tier of people who will deservedly, deservedly get credit. And, and you know the names, you know, Travis Kelsey, uh, Tyreek Hill, Chris Jones, Tyron Matthew, Brett Veach, Eric Bieniemy, Eric Fisher, Mitch Schwartz, Alex Smith, um, even Clark Hunt for correcting a really bad mistake with what I'll always think of as his finest hour when he goes all in on a pursuit of Andy Reid. And, and kept him from getting on a plane to another interview in Arizona for a job that a lot of people thought was the job that he'd end up taking. So, um, but I think Dorsey should be right there in that conversation too, in, in that next tier. Um, you know, Andy and John took over a team that had some stars at the top of the roster, but after that, just a lot of rot, you know, a, a lot of guys in roles that they really should not be in for a good team. Um, terrible culture and and you know that roster got deeper and better and it happened really fast um dorsey's drafts are really strong like eric fisher and travis kelsey in the first year uh d ford the second year was zach fulton and ldt in the sixth round then in 2015 it, it was uh uh marcus peters mitch morse um, in 2016, it was Chris Jones in the second round. The Chiefs actually traded down that year, uh, confident that he'd still be there. Uh, Demarcus Robinson in the fourth, Tyreek Hill in the fifth. And then the last draft class he had was, was Patrick Mahomes and Kareem Hunt. So that's nine guys who've made 24 Pro Bowls so far, um, including just some league-wide superstars with Mahomes, Hill, Jones, Kelsey. I mean, that, that's a heck, heck of a track record. And while I do believe it's true that Veach was the one sort of driving the bus on identifying Mahomes as the guy, and <laughs> you guys, like, someday I might tell you a really crazy story about that that would explain why I'm 100% sure that Veach was the one driving the bus on ID and Mahomes. Um, but even though Veach was the one who saw Mahomes first and had to sell Andy and John on him, it's still John. It's still the GM that has to make that final call. You know what I mean? And it's still John who had to do the maneuvering to trade up to a spot where they'd get him. So, you know, like, like let's just say that we're in this alternative, alternative universe where Mahomes isn't any good, okay? At that point, it's John that's got to answer those questions. You know, it's not Andy or Brett. And, and I hope John has always given his, his due for all of this. Um, look, John had his quirks. And he was essentially fired with a year left on his contract while the guy he came in with signed an extension. And John was replaced by a guy who worked for him. And I know that there's a tendency to sort of like forget all he did here. But man, like he was really good at his job. Like I, I look, I, I tend to think that talent evaluation is a little overrated. And, and what I mean by that is like there's a big old group of scouts and execs who for the most part like work tirelessly and obsess over this stuff. And I think for the most part, <laughs> you can pick anybody in that group and that person's going to be wrong just as often as everybody else. But 
John has a really remarkable and long track record on this, you know, not just with the Chiefs, but also with Green Bay and, and then Cleveland. So you're asking about the Ring of Honor, and um, that's complicated. You know, the fact it took Marty as long as it did um, and, and that Carl Peterson still isn't in. I mean, like, come on, like, what, what are we doing here? Right. Like there's a lot of politics involved in these things. Um, I, I think that's pretty clear. And I'm just not sure how that part of it would happen with John. Um, I think he has the resume. Um, like I 100% believe that he deserves it. But if I had to bet on whether it will actually happen, um, I think I'm taking the under, unfortunately. Um, you know, especially when you consider the fact that this sort of like modern push of the Chiefs, you know, 2013 on, um, it, it's going to produce so many other wor worthy candidates. You know what I mean? Um, Look, the, the world can be messy sometimes, you know? So, okay, guys, one more break, and then we'll back, uh, we're back. we going to be back to finish strong. The other day, when the Chiefs hosted media availability at the practice facility, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire like stepped into the room and the shock on his face was like just obvious. It was like he saw a ghost, you know what I mean? Or like 15 ghosts, because that's about how many of us were in the media room, um, you know, ready to ask questions. I think he was expecting to see our faces on a computer screen, you know? He just walks in and he just goes, whoa. And then uh, Brad G, who's part of the, the PR team with the Chiefs, he says something like, you know, yeah, it's real humans in here now. And... That reminds me of the time when uh, when Major League Baseball first allowed reporters back on the field to do interviews a few months ago. And, and this was before Danny Duffy was traded. And he walks by a few of us and he's like, welcome back. I thought you guys were just holograms there for a while. So um, look, like we're slowly getting a little of the old life back. And I say a little because there are a lot of things that I don't think are coming back. You know, like I don't think the NFL is ever going to allow reporters in the locker room again. I think that's gone. I'm hopeful we can at least get to a spot like sort of like what a lot of college programs do where reporters can request certain guys be brought into a, you know, a designated room for interviews. Um, won't be as good as the locker room, you know, not even close, but it would allow us to do a better job of providing you, you know, like real stories and real insight. You know, it, it would be better for that than than what we have now. But anyway, that's either irrelevant or maybe a conversation for another day. Uh, because this weekend, we are getting a whole lot of the old life back when Arrowhead Stadium will be at full capacity for a Chiefs game for the first time in 602 days. Edwards Hilaire had the best reaction to that, really. And, and remember, he hasn't played in front of a full crowd since college. Um, here's what he said about it the other day. The only time that I've been in the stadium when it was full was for the for the Garth Brooks concert. Uh, <laughs> and that was, you know, it was pretty exciting and pretty live. But I didn't I didn't want to psych myself out on you know really getting to take in you know arrowhead in 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 total um it's one thing sitting in the stands but when you can put on a helmet and, and be on the field and then the, then the stadium is filled you tend to have a different outlook on on, on stadium so um you know the last time i played a full game was was in new orleans with, with a full crowd for the national championship so it's it's going to be a pretty uh surreal moment for me most definitely i'm just like I mean, look, like we can and sometimes do go cynical about stuff. Um, you know, football is a business and, and we're all customers in one way or the other. Uh, but the best thing sports have to offer us is just that that spontaneous joy, you know, and, and that feeling of togetherness with people you've never met 
and will never talk to, um, but you still feel a real bond with them somehow. It just doesn't make sense, and it's the best. Um, you know, Andy Reid likes to say that like coaching is a people business, and I think you could say the same thing about sports too. You know, um, but anyway, um, th- that's not what I wanted to use this last part of the show for. Um, I-, I wanted to share with you what I thought was the most insightful thing anyone with the Chiefs said this week, and. Uh, look, you know how I feel about press conferences. I, I find them to be a sort of nef- necessary evil and, and often just useless <laughs> in some cases. Um, you know, look, they're better than nothing, but really not where the insight is gathered. You know, the best stuff comes from getting to know people. And, and it's often, um, you know, people who aren't put ever put in front of a lectern in a press conference. You know, that's where some of the best stuff comes from. And that's, I think, where reporters separate themselves. And anyway, I'm getting off the point. I, but I did think that in, in a sort of funny way, we got a little bit of insight this week in the press conference. So as often happens, um, the guys behind the microphone were, were sort of asked similar questions. And and I want to focus in on, on one specific question. I hope I'm not stealing this thunder, but the question came from Matt Derrick, who is a good human and, and writes for uh, ChiefsDigest.com. And uh, anyway, Matt was basically asking if there's a, a common thread in the 10 losses that the Chiefs have had with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. And we're going to play Andy Reid's answer first and, and then Mahomes. And these are, are fairly short clips. Andy's about 30 seconds and Patrick is about 17. But just listen and, and tell me what you think. Okay, here, here's Andy on whether there's a common thread in the 10 losses that he's had with Mahomes. Um, I mean, it's a crazy stat, but the, the number of games in this league that are determined by seven points or, or less is ridiculous. I mean, it's uh, there's so much parity. So... To, I analyze those things and look at them, but uh, uh, to get better. But you prepare, you know, obviously for with all the situational football that you prepare for, you prepare for uh, in case you're in that in that mode just by you know the analytics. So it's I mean, it's ridiculous. Okay, now same question for Patrick. Here we go. Um, I don't know if there's one thing. I mean, you lose g- games in this league all different type of way, uh, different types of ways. But I think Coach, what Coach Reed preaches is situational football in this league. Uh, everyone's pretty much even. So it's a whoever executes the best in those third downs, those short yardage, those red zone situations are usually the teams that win. Isn't that wild? It's basically the same answer. And and I can tell you that Andy and Patrick did not know that question was coming and they didn't prepare for it. And that's not, look, that's not like a, a feet to the fire kind of question or whatever, but I just bring that up to point out that they were both just talking off the top of their head and, and they basically just said the exact same thing. Like, look, I get it. Um, they're around each other all the time. Um, and Andy's had the, the chance to sort of raise Patrick a, as a professional. So, you know, naturally they're going to align on some things. But, I mean, this is a 63-year-old Mormon grandfather and, and a 25-year-old guy who drives a Ferrari. And, and they're out here talking like twins. Like, sports are just, <laughs> sports are the best, you know. Um, okay, anyway. Chiefs 31, Browns 27, and and that's the show this week. Thanks again for joining us. Please help us spread the word. Uh, tell a friend we're worth your time. Please reach out to me if you can't if you can help us help support us with the sports pass. And please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks to everybody who called in, um, even those we couldn't get to. And guys, uh, <laughs> Savannah may very well cut this part out of the show. She she's the boss here, um, so she can do what she wants with that. But um, this is the last show that she's going to put together. And I just, you guys don't hear from her directly. Like it's just all my stupid voice. 
but I just want to tell you that this show like literally would not exist um, without Savannah. She got a new job opportunity in California and I'm really excited for her. She is a freaking star. And if you own a business, you should hire her for whatever, whatever business you run. Um, she's awesome. So enormous thanks Savannah for putting this together. You are, I love the, you're just, I love working with you. Okay. Biggest thanks to you guys too, uh, for joining us, for listening and letting us be a small part of your life. All right, guys, have a great weekend. Be kind.